Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Uh, How many of you have Sunday afternoon traditions? Let's see your hands. How many of you, those traditions involve a nap, right? Here, here. One of the traditions in our household, at some point on a Sunday afternoon, Libby will look at me, I'm in the couch and she's in the recliner, and she will simply just say, are you ready for today's lineup? And it's not a sporting event. We're not talking about a starting lineup on a football team or a basketball team. We're talking about this week's crumble lineup. How many of you have had the privilege of tasting a crumble cookie? The rest of you, they're closed on Sunday, so good luck. On Sunday afternoons, though, about 4 or 5 o'clock, they'll release the lineup of the cookies. And you say, why would you be so interested? Well, they're amazing cookies, but every week they change flavors. And so on Sunday afternoons, they release it, and they come out with these amazing videos of how the cookie looks and then all the ingredients of what they look like. Um, And you must think, Daniel, you must eat a lot of these cookies. I don't. I simply just think about it a lot. The descriptions are really, really, really good. As we look at Acts chapter 5 today in verse 12, as we get started, we're going to see some descriptions about the early church. And Luke does an amazing job of describing what's happening for us in the early church. So when we mean the early church, what we mean is this. When you look at the New Testament, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after those gospels, we have the book of Acts. And what happens is, Everything talked about and alluded to in the Gospels, much of those promises actually are birthed in the book of Acts. And so in Matthew, he tells, uh, he tells the disciples, um, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All of that happens in the book of Acts. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, he tells the disciples uh, at the very end of the books, he gives the great commission. Maybe you've heard those words, and it's something like this. He says this, you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teach them to observe things, baptize them. This is what you're called to do. This is what your mandate is to do, is to go into all the world. None of that happens till the book of Acts. And so Acts is the birth of the early church. And so this morning, as we jump into Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, we're going to see a description of the early church. And the first thing you're going to notice is there are signs and wonders. Let's look at verse 12. It says this, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. So first of all, Solomon's portico, what is he talking about? He's talking about this place in the second temple. Uh, It was a massive compound. It had extensive colonnades and covered areas. So this is where they would gather. They would gather here to have uh, discussions. They would gather here to have prayers. They would gather here to learn from one another in Scripture. But in the very beginning of the verse, it says this, Many signs and wonders were done regularly. 
So in Acts chapter 4, we see that um, after Peter and John were arrested and they were released, uh, they came back to uh, the rest of the followers of Jesus. And the followers of Jesus said this, uh, we're going to pray that you give us further boldness. They were just arrested for preaching the gospel. We want further boldness. And in our boldness, Lord, would you give us more signs and wonders? Because back then in Acts chapter 4, the signs and wonders were designed to point people to Jesus Christ. The signs and wonders, uh, the lame man being healed, uh, people being able to speak in all of these different languages, having never learned them, all of these different things were just signs and wonders. They were used to point people to Jesus and the power of his resurrections. Now, here's the thing. The signs and wonders were not the reason solely that people were coming to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was moving in the hearts and lives of people. And if you look at your notes or you're following in your notes, the fact that God's people are united in their faith is often a bigger manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power than any particular sign or marvel. The fact that God's people are united in their faith is often a bigger manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power uh, than any particular sign or marvel. So you got to understand, as these new followers of Jesus Christ were being gathered together in this new early church, for the first time they found acceptance. They found validity. They found community. They found purpose. And boy, this is what we pray people will find at First Christian, that when you walk through these doors and when you become invested in what we are doing with our faith, that you will find acceptance, that it doesn't matter what your resume is as a person. When you come to Jesus, all things are new. We pray that you find acceptance. We pray that you find purpose for your family, that it'll give you strength. It'll give you inspiration uh, as we pursue this common cause. But this intensity found here in Acts chapter 4 and was born out of intense passion. There was no such thing as casual commitment for a follower of Jesus Christ. There was no such thing in the early church. When they accepted Christ, they got baptized. They didn't schedule a special Sunday. They didn't uh, see if the water was heated. <laughs> Ours is. They did not get a special change of clothes. You will see it all through as we study Acts this year. When people accepted Christ, they just simply said, what's next? I have pledged my allegiance towards Jesus, so what's next? Baptized? Great. How do we do it? Good. Let's do it. There was no uh, debate over it. They simply got baptized. They said, this is how you identify with Christ. Like Christ was buried and he rose again, so you should be buried in the water, come up out of it, representing your new life in Christ. And when people found that out, they just said, what's next? Uh, when it was time after they got baptized to join themselves to a local group of like-minded followers, there was no discussion, there was no dissent, there was no delay, they didn't ask what kind of clothing was required. They didn't ask what kind of songs they were singing. Uh, which, which of David's psalms are you guys singing at your church? They didn't ask any of that. They simply just found other believers and said, hey, we're, we're going to commit ourselves to you. Uh, let's keep reading in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord. Let's stop right there. More than ever. Everyone say those three words. 
more than ever. Do you remember what happened at the beginning of this chapter? Two people were struck dead for lying. Two people died because they lied about what they were giving to the Lord. And now the Bible is very clear. Now more than ever, regardless of the, uh, the extent of the punishment levied against Ananias and Sapphira, more than ever people were added to the Lord. I believe people want to follow something that has a, a, a passionate cause behind them. And then we alluded to this last week, but look at verse 14. It says this, more than ever people were, more than ever believers were added, right, to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Multitudes. In other words, they stopped counting. In Acts chapter 2, they said uh, 3,000 people were saved. In Acts chapter 3, they said another couple of thousand. By Acts chapter 5, Luke said, I'm done counting. We're not counting anymore multitudes were added. And then it says this, both men and women. I think this is so amazing to see that in the first time in Scripture, uh, people following Jesus Christ uh, were identified as men and women all before in Scripture. If you look at the New Testament in the Gospels, it's men that were counted. There was 5,000 men. There was 2,000 men. For the first time in all of Scripture, women are now included because in the past it was the man who decided the faith for the home. And so if the, if the, if the male in the home decided to follow Jesus, their whole family did as well because women didn't have a say-so. They didn't have uh, autonomy of thought. And now for the first time in, the God, in, in Acts record, Luke recorded for the first time both men and women we're being added. It's an amazing declaration that before Christ we stand equal before the cross. Not only was this church known for unity, but the community of Christians also had a marvelous reputation for integrity. And everybody knew it was a serious thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're following your notes, though people knew it was a serious thing to be a Christian, the Spirit of God kept moving with power. And again, on the surface, we would think, boy, they did some uh, striking things. It's amazing that the church kept on growing. Well, uh, I think verse 13, 14 says this, they were added to the Lord. It was so important for them that as they uh, found their faith, they found one another. We keep reading in verse 15, the description is continued. They even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It's an amazing description here. Peter, I'm sorry, people were so convinced of the reality and the power of what the Christians believed that they thought that even touching Peter's shadow would cure, would heal them. I don't know if the shadow actually did anything. It's interesting. It only tells us what the people were doing. But when we go back in Luke and we hear about the woman who just thought, boy, if I could just touch Jesus' garment, right? Um, it was her, uh, her thought that uh, I just need to get close enough to Jesus. Um, I may not be able to demand his time. I may not be worthy of having a conversation with him. And by the way, we're still talking about a woman in first, Jerusalem, uh, first century Jerusalem approaching a man. It was probably uh, not kosher to do that. Kosher being a bad word to describe that. 
Um, it was probably not appropriate to do that. And so this woman, man, I'm going to read my notes. It was probably just appropriate for her just to come uh, and touch the hem of his garment. And yet the Bible says her faith made her whole. And so I got to believe these people that were believing that if they just got under Peter's shadow, if we just got near Pat. Peter, and you got to think, boy, his, his walk to the temple and his walk back home from the temple, depending on the, uh, the side of the street where the sun was hit, hitting, the people would line up the one street so he could just walk by and maybe the, the shadow would cast this way. And then on the way home, if they missed him on the way, they would line up on the other way. So on the way home, they would cast on that side. Uh, all of these people just trying to get near to behold all these signs and wonders. We've seen the description of the early church. We want to see the result of their commitment. Well, they were imprisoned and freed again. Uh, Verse 17, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put him in a public prison. Now, we know that in Acts chapter 4, this happened and they were released But these apostles, like Jesus, whom they represented, were persecuted because of the good works, but also because of the popularity they were gaining. The more and more people that would come, uh, they stopped counting. It's multitudes now. So you think about the religious elite, the Roman occupation, seeing that these individuals, these guys who had no education, this this, uh, band of followers of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden are healing people. All of a sudden, miracles are being performed, and all of a sudden, it's not just a couple of thousand, it's not just three or four thousand now, it's multitudes. And so the high priest and the Sadducees, they were threatened by this influence that Peter and John and the others started to have. And so this left the apostles in a dangerous predicament. They were arrested and they were put in the public prison. Let's keep reading verse 19. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go. Everyone say go. Go. I would have left too. (laughs) You think about these guys. They're in prison. And an angel of the Lord opens the doors and said, go. I would not have waited for the rest of the sentence. I would have left. But look at the reason they were to be freed from prison. Go and stand in the temple And speak to the people all the words of this life. Do we remember why they went to prison in the first place? Because they stood in the temple speaking the words of life. And so now the angel says, let's do it again. We're going to send you out. We're going to go again. So they went out. This is a good time to remind us. God did not let them free for their own safety or comfort. You see, their rescue from prison was wonderful, but it was for a purpose so they could continue their work. Their release from prison was fantastic, but it had a purpose. It allowed them to continue your mission. And there will be times in your life where God delivers you from something, and it's not so that you could be freed from the burden only. It's not so that you could walk a little bit easier without that debt or that burden against you. It's so that you can be freed to continue your mission. And when God answers a prayer and he relieves you of a burden in your life and there's tension relieved, there's a prayer that's answered, you got to understand he's doing it so that you can continue your mission. They were set free for this cause 
And this is a good time to remind us, our commitment to the Lord doesn't mean the angels of the Lord are at our service. Just because we follow Christ does not mean we get to demand a miracle. Lord, I went to church on Sunday. I need my rent paid. I took notes. I need this bill paid. I need this thing happened. Uh, We are going to see a bunch of signs and wonders in the book of Acts. And I don't want us to get the picture that because they followed Christ wholeheartedly, their life became easy. In fact, I think a disservice that church does to people is to simply say, man, if you come to church and you accept Christ and you are baptized, all of your troubles go away. And you let to live a life of ease. It's just simply not true. Let me walk you through what happened to the disciples. Let's take the four that are featured in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is how their lives were ended. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died after being dragged through the streets of Alexandria. Luke was hung on a tree in Greece. John died a natural death after they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil. Peter was crucified, but he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the manner of Jesus, so he requested that he be crucified upside down. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The other James was thrown from a height, and because that didn't kill him, they beat him with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped until death. Andrew was crucified, preaching at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was impaled with a spear. Jude was killed with the arrows of an executioner. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded, as was Barnabas. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Our commitment to the Lord doesn't mean the angels of the Lord are at our service. It simply means that God chooses from time to time how to deliver us. And some of, it, some of, it, some of the times it is through the miraculous. And some of the times it's simply to hold our hand while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God's presence isn't greater in one circumstance or the other. It's simply in his sovereignty how he chooses for us to live our lives. I want to notice next the response to their persecution. They resumed the work of the gospel. So they heard this, verse 21, when they heard this, the angel saying, go, speak the words of life. They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council. No kidding. All the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Like, how do they vote who was going to give that report? So this is what we did. We went. Doors were locked. And they're secure, by the way. Good job on the design of these doors. Here's the thing. No one's inside. 
I mean, the disciples' response is amazing. Uh, the Bible says this in verse 21, they entered the temple at daybreak. So they went to the most public place, the temple, as soon as they could, daybreak. And when they thought they were going to be in prison again, they immediately began teaching God's word to the common people again. There's a little bit of humor in this. The establishment gathers solemnly, right? They're like, we need to gather, we need to figure out what is their course of duty. Understand, no less than what? Just a few months ago, they crucified Jesus. This is the same group of people that had that discussion. This is the same group of people that, uh, that carried out that verdict. And now they're deciding what to do with these gentlemen. They were about to teach these troublemakers what was going on. And all of a sudden, there's no apostles in the cell. Verse 24, let's keep reading. When the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. I'm wondering what this would come to. Luke, I think, does a really good job of describing what's happening. He says they were greatly perplexed, wondering what this would come to. In other words, what's going to happen now? Our resources, our deliberation said we should put them in prison, and now they've been released miraculously. What do we do next? Verse 25, someone said, or someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Verse 26, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Do you see the shift in power here? At first, at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, uh, these rulers were the ones that put them in prison, and they said, we are going to do the same thing to you that we did with Jesus. All you have to do is just promise us you won't do this anymore. Promise us you won't teach. Promise us you won't do it so publicly. Promise us you keep this under wraps. And Peter and John said, um, no. Do you know what we've just seen? We've seen our Savior uh, die, be buried, and raise again. We had fish uh, fillets sandwiches with him around a campfire. Like we ate a meal with, the, 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 with Jesus Christ. He said to wait, and then he said to go to Jerusalem. When we did, all of a sudden we saw the miracle, and all of us started to preach and teach in languages we never learned, languages we never understood, but everyone heard it in their own language. The next day, our, our, yeah, Peter preaches a message, and it was a bad message, and still 3,000 people were saved. It was his first message. He preaches again in Acts 4, uh, the lame man healed, and you want us to keep it under wraps? There's no way we're going to do this. All of a sudden, they put them in prison for the second time. They're released again, and now they say, would you please stop doing this? And do you see the, the, the posture that they have? Not by force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. We're talking about multitudes. Following Luke's story to this point, we understand why they wondered what the outcome would be. We don't wonder, because we know this is the story of God's church, the apostles would soon be arrested again. And it's perhaps tempting for them to think that since they were miraculously released, that God would keep them from being arrested again. And perhaps that's part of it. But I tend to think this. Their past experience of the power of God had filled them with faith for the present. Their past experience of the power of God had filled them with faith for the presence. When we pause to consider that 
God has shown up in our lives time and time again. It gives us hope and faith for the problems of today. But if all we do is rest in the problems of today and we live in that vacuum, it can be easy to be surrounded by our circumstances. I'm a man of unreasonable and abounding hope because I've seen him come through time and time again. So how do I deal with disappointment? I cry. And I worship. And by the way, I sweat. This is pretty obvious. I'm an ugly crier too. And I pause. And let me just say this. Anything in life that slows you down from rushing from one thing to the next in your life is probably a good thing. Because I'll pause and I'll remember how God has shown up. For me, it starts in 1836, and I've shared this story before, but I just want you to see how God shows up in our lives. 1836, two missionaries left Bristol, England to go to India, and they went to the south east corner of India, the second most southern state, and they went with their wives, and William and George thought they were going to lead the whole country of India to Christ. And after six years of learning the culture and tolerating the food and, and getting used to the language and learning and making contacts and building relationships, after six years, uh, they had zero converts. As missionaries, they were failures. Not one single person accepted Christ. Not one single person gave their life to Jesus. Not one single person took them up on their message of hope. And so they waited and they paused and they went, wrote back home and they said, I don't know if we're supposed to be here. We don't know if this is where God has called us to. Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we were supposed to stay in Bristol a little bit longer, but we're here at six years. What do we do next? And they prayed and they fasted for one whole week. And at the end of the week, they said, we're going to have one more meeting. We're going to go and preach. It was not a meeting. No one came to them. They had to go to them. They went to the, uh, the corner of this swap, outdoor swap meet, kind of like a farmer's market, if you will. And I've been on that corner where they stood and they just stood up and they just said, this is the message of good news. This is the message of hope. And they preached Christ crucified and buried and risen again. And they gave people the message of hope. And at the end of that day, one person came to Christ. And it was my great, great, great grandfather who came to Christ. And I say, I say this, I say in my life, Lord, um, I have this prayer request and you have not answered it in two and a half hours. <laughs> and I really meant it when I prayed it. And this problem is still right here. And I'm telling you, if we just pause and we just consider, Lord, uh, I am broken and I'm disappointed and Lord, I just need you to show up in my life somehow. But I'm broken right now, and I'm needy, and I need your presence. And all of a sudden, you begin to worship, and you begin to recite those verses or read those verses that say, I'm the Lord, I change not. Your mercies are new every morning. And my memory has a chance to pause and to go back and to see that sometimes it takes years for God to answer prayers. And now my two and a half hours doesn't seem so long. And now I can 
pull myself up by the bootstraps and simply say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you in this moment because of what you've done way back over here. What do I do when I'm disappointed? What do I do when I'm defeated and I feel like I'm experiencing a loss that it's really hard for me to reconcile? Because on paper, this loss doesn't make sense, Lord. On, this pa- on paper, this math doesn't make sense. I should not be going through this loss. My family should not be going through this loss. It doesn't make sense. And I just take a moment, I take a moment and I cry and I worship and I let my heart rest in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, I'm reminded that Easter represents that the death of something is not the end of something. And that there's hope beyond the grave. What do I do when I deal with uh, difficulty in relationships? How many of you have difficulty in relationships? The rest of you are lying. In church, no less. Good luck. And I think about my parents who are, oh man, 76 and 81, something like that, 75 and 80. And they have just remained faithful to Jesus. And I am sure there were times when it was easy to pray for me. (laughs) Right? There was probably a window of time where it was really easy to pray for me. And there have been years where it was really difficult for them to pray for me. And I know that. And I just kept on praying and praying and praying. So when I have a difficulty in my relationships with people, I simply think back about the faithfulness of my parents and how they just simply loved God and they just kept on praying and said, Lord, we don't understand this. We don't understand the decision he's making right now. We don't understand why he's so far from you right now. But Lord, we trust you with his life. And I'm telling you that there will be moments in our life where the, the difficulty, the disappointment, the defeat will surround us. And if we stay there, we're surrounded. If we stay there, it's overwhelming. If we stay there, it is, it is impossible to break through. And so I urge you to cry. I urge you to worship. And I urge you to think back to all the ways God has come through for you in the past. Now here's the thing. You have a very young pastor. It hurts when you laugh, I'm just saying. But I've lived for 41, almost 42 years, and I've seen the goodness of God. And some of y'all have lived a lot longer than that. A lot longer. And you know who you are, and I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to consider the goodness of God in your lives. To consider how he's sown. So in those moments when you're surrounded, and you're looking at the problems instead of our Savior... Boy, that old chorus that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of the earth, they just grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Their past experience 
of the power of God filled them with faith for the present. How do you get through today? Yeah, you think back to yesterday, and you made it yesterday, and you'll make it tomorrow. You have tasted the goodness of God. And sometimes it just means a reminder here and then. Because if you have tasted the goodness of God, I say rejoice. Because your weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The hearts of these religious leaders were again exposed. They feared the people, but they did not fear God who clearly showed that he was working among the disciples. Let's finish the narrative here. Verse 27 says this, when they had brought them, they set before them the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you, oh man, we told you not to do this, we asked nicely, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have, say those next two words, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Let's be very clear. This man, who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. They're saying, we told you not to do this, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Here's a really quick side note. Remember what Jesus asked them to do in Acts 1 and verse 8? You shall be witnesses. First in where? You know what that means? Right here, this is the fulfillment of Acts 1-8, the very first part. And what you'll find is this, Acts chapter 6, we start going into the next phase of Acts. No longer is it simply the starting of the church, all of a sudden it's the scattering of the church. Not only is it just Jerusalem, the next few chapters, hang on, we get to see the church explode. But he says this, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring Jesus' blood upon us. This was, again, another attempt to intimidate the apostles with their authority. Now, this accusation of the high priest was a wonderful testimony to the effectiveness of the message preached by the apostles. They said, you have filled Jerusalem. Would to God someone one day walks into a church in Douglas County and said, all the churches, you need to stop. You have filled Douglas County with the message of the gospel. By calling Jesus this man, the religious leaders were obviously avoiding the name Jesus, but everybody knew what they were talking about. The charge that the apostles didn't intend to bring Jesus' blood upon them is interesting because no doubt it meant that the apostles intended to hold those Jewish leaders responsible. And so they took it personally. They were very disappointed that they weren't obeyed, but they took it uh, personally. And now we come to the final few verses of this narrative. And when we see the disciples, the apostles, they pledge their allegiance. Verse 29 says this. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to this, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Here's the thing. In contrast to the Sanhedrin, who were more concerned with man's opinion than God's opinion, this was a brave testimony for the apostles. Their response was a clear explanation of 
action. They were not being defensive, nor did they ask for forgiveness. They simply said, this is what we have seen. We are witnesses to this, and we must obey God rather than men. What is it in your life that you would do with your faith if the opinion of man did not matter? What would your faith look like if the opinion of others simply did not matter more than the opinion of God? Boy, the apostles had come this far. They had followed Jesus for these years. And now for this moment, they finally thought, boy, this is what he was talking about when he had the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he was talking about when he was with the woman at the well. This is what he was talking about this whole time. And now that we have the opportunity to finally follow Jesus and simply uh, obey what he has asked us to do, there is no turning back for us. We simply will not turn back. They were way more concerned with God's opinion than they were with the others. Verse 32, the last verse says this, We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. It's interesting, because in these last few verses, uh, Peter lays out what it means to give your life to Jesus. He says this, uh, John, would you go back to verse 29 and let's walk through these verses again. He says this, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus and he says this, whom you killed. Very clearly he explains here that Jesus died because of our sin Jesus, whom you murdered, he's he's, he's explaining to them, it is our sin, it is our brokenness, it is our weakness, and that is why Jesus died on the cross. He says this, uh, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree on the cross for our sins so that we might have life. Look at verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand. What that means, I would Uh, Peter is referring to is that after three days Jesus resurrected from the grave and he now sits at the right hand of God that's significant that right hand of God because uh, sitting uh, indicates to us that the work Jesus came to do has been finished he died he was buried and he rose again so now he gets to sit at the right hand of God the right hand of God meaning that he is in Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. uh, And that is why he could be our sinless uh, replacement for us on the cross. We go on and it says this. uh, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. Why? To give repentance and forgiveness of sin. This is our responsibility to what he has done for us. To repent and to claim that forgiveness of sins. Boy, if you're here today and you are still wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus, my encouragement to you is allow yourself to embrace this message that Peter is preaching, that we should repent from our sins. What that means is this. It doesn't mean that overnight you become perfect. It simply means you're going one direction and you simply choose to stop and you pledge your allegiance towards Christ and you walk in a new direction from this day forward. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.